This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. I'm going to spy on you. Whoa. <laughs> and I'm going to write it down in a book and you're going to find it and it's going to make everybody mad. So, and this is this is two things. This is the plot of the movie Mean Girls and it's also <laughs> has something to do with the book that you read this week. Yeah. Welcome to our book podcast. Andrew later will do a dramatic reading from his uh, spy notebook, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is Jermaine. Uh, to, that's also a name, Jermaine. I'm Andrew. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> which is Andrew to the book that we are bringing to this podcast this week where one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it. Typically a book we've never read before. And I had never read Harriet the Spy by Louise Fitzhugh before. Yeah. I don't... Did you ha- Did you had read it? <laughs> I I had read it, yeah. It was one of... A few like books that I got from my mom mostly that, sure that she had had as a child that only had like one or two reads left in them before mm. the binding just totally fell apart. I feel Don't you like do you like that kind of sweet smell that you get yeah. off like a really old used book? Yeah, what what is that? Is like that it. dead I, skin? I, is that I, bugs? I, sus- I suspect it's. Some combination of decaying paper and like binding glue. Yeah, <laughs> that's I bet yeah. some of our it, I bet some of our listeners know for sure. It is definitely from those like paperbacks in yeah, particular, yeah, yeah. the yellowed yeah, pages. Give me an old like eighties trade paperback and let me smell that. Like yeah. put that on an air freshener. Mm. <laughs> Get that out of like the trunk of a car, and it's like mm. Mm, the stink on it. Yeah, no, I never read this book. Um, I obviously knew about the character Harriet the Spy because I watched Nickelodeon in the 90s. Yeah, this was pe- like peak. So this the movie with Michelle Trachtenberg in it came out in 1996. This was between her time on The Adventures of Pete and Pete and her time on the latter seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, okay. Um, sure. And it came it came out during like my peak Nickelodeon years. Um she was my first celeb crush. Whoa. And so just to put to place this in time for you. When was Alex Mack? Go ahead. Um the pilot of Hey Arnold was shown as a short in front of this movie when it was in theaters. Whoa. So we're kind of going from Hey Arnold, the, very resonant text for this film and book. Oh, uh, uh, and this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> we're just we're both stoop kids oh my at God. heart for different for different reasons. Craig because he wants to talk to everybody, and me because I don't want to leave my house. <laughs> but this is like golden age Nickelodeon. And yeah, it was the, just the movie was everywhere. Now, I don't know if I ever actually saw it. Nope, never saw it. <laughs> it was in theaters and I wouldn't have like my parents would have had to take me. And later when it came out on video, like you only get so many 
VHS tapes you can ask for for a birthday and Christmas. Yeah. Are you going to burn one of those slots on <laughs> Harriet the Spy? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe not. I didn't realize it was the first like Nickelodeon film. Yeah, because I think Good Burger came out a couple years oh, later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good flick. I honestly don't remember. I don't remember <laughs> a good either. Movie. Um, but yeah, I think to Alex Mack, Larissa Olenek may have been one of my first celebrity crushes, Andrew. That's respectable. Um, from 1998, The Secret World mm-hmm. of Alex Mack. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I had never read this book. It kind of falls into, you know, the the Quimby's, the Basil E. Frankweiler's, the kind of the mid-century... Uh, you know, kids getting up to stuff. Books maybe that... the scout, scout a little bit. Yeah, only when I when sure. I read about this book, like Harriet is lumped in with Scout. Okay, yeah, as sort of a plucky preteen who doesn't particularly care whether they're like liked, liked by yeah. other people, uh-huh. which was kind of subversive for the time. <laughs> sure. Um. So yeah, it, it's just an interesting read and an interesting read in the history of books for kids that are still like i don't know this is a longer book than i expected it to be more happens in it um and yet it was it still felt like i don't know it didn't feel uh dumbed down you know it felt just Mm kind of like a true depiction of this type of kid uh, or this particular kid, around Har- Harriet is pretty singular in some ways, um, mm-hmm. even as we talk about who she's similar to. So mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about uh, Louise Fitzhugh, our author for the week, Andrew. Louise Fitzhugh was born in 1928 and died uh, in 1974, pretty young, yep. from a uh, brain aneurysm that was sort of brought on by hypertension that she'd suffered from. Yeah, I um, think it was after a period of like... Some pretty intense substance abuse, too, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so she was a writer and illustrator who's best known for these Harriet the Spy novels. There are two that were published during her lifetime, which was Harriet in 1964 and then The Long Secret in 1965. And then a third one called Sport was published posthumously in 1979. Okay. I got it. Like anything. I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but my assumption upon seeing a posthumous work that is published that posthumously implies to me that somebody else had to come in and do a lot of like Mm. cleaning up and and maybe finishing it. I don't, I don't know if that's true in this case or not. I know that sport is the only one of these three books without a Wikipedia page, which is always (laughs) kind of like a litmus test for, for notability. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, And there were, there were two other Harriet books that were published yeah, I just talked about them. No, the ones uh, after the movie came out. Oh, oh, oh by oh. other people. I did not. I did not catch those. Harriet spies again in two thousand two <laughs> by Helen Erickson, <laughs> and Harriet the Spy Double Agent by Maya Gold. Wow, that one seems like they read the title of the book but didn't read the substance <laughs> yeah. of the book. But those <laughs> maybe kind of trying to catch that spy kids wave. Well, and and they both <laughs> seem like oh that movie was a hit and now probably has like a a tail on VHS. Like let's well, it gives get the, the book character a, it gives there. the book a bump yeah. when a movie comes out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, keep going. Um so yeah, she was uh there, there was a biography written about her recently called Sometimes You Have to Lie, The Life and Times of Louise Fitzhugh, Renegade Author of Harriet the Spy, which mm. whenever we refer to 
the biography, I do insist that we use its proper name. <laughs> um, and I, so a lot of of the info I could find on her like life and times is sourced from like reviews of, of that that sort of summarize it. Yeah. So her father was wealthy and he won sole custody of her in a divorce and he lied to her for many years and told her that her mother was dead, which is a thing that she never forgave. <laughs> Whoa, okay. Uh, and so you've got that like personal level drama between her and her rich dad who's lying to her. And then this bigger societal thing where she is living in the Jim Crow South and really not trucking with it and also is like gay and is yeah and is she she is described as like unapologetically out of the closet is the quote mm. that i have as an adult uh according to the writer of this, this summary of the <laughs> this writer of the biography <laughs> but um but you know in the in the what 30s 40s when she would have yeah. been growing up in the in the deep south yeah probably being out as a gay person is not something that is possible for you um so she had a she was originally focused a lot on her painting and her poetry and she sometimes thought of her children's books as like too easy or or non-risky to be art she she had the impression that they because they came easily to her and they were kind of fun to do that they couldn't possibly be art mm. um and this is you know this is, do you know her dad's name was Millsaps Fitzhugh well i thought that Tucker Carlson was the snootiest name i'd ever heard <laughs> and then i heard about Millsaps Fitzhugh well that does sound like a man who would meet uh his wife on a boat from New York to England, mm -hmm. uh, which is how they met. <laughs> and that is a detail of the two parents, or a similar enough detail to the parents in this book, uh, uh, mm -hmm. Harriet's, Harriet's parents, which is interesting. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, uh, Andrew, I pulled a lot. I was also reading. I want to make sure I shout out if I'd reference yes, any backstory. Mm -hmm. um, there is an, a review of that a uh, biography by Rebecca Panovka in the New Yorker called The Tragic Misfit Behind Harriet the Spy. That was one of the articles that I read um, that talked a little yeah, bit about the, that. And The one that I found is in Washington Post, Inside the Mind, Life, and Friendships that Created Harriet the Spy by Carlos Lozada. Cool. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm glad we, got, glad we got a lot of sources on this one. Yeah, love to have... Well, we're spies. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> now we got to burn these people. Um, well, Sorry, Carlos... <laughs> I saw that, you know, because she went to Bard College um, and then she was living in the village because she had like money from a deceased relative, right? Or something like that. Yeah, it's like a combination of money from a de deceased relative and like an allowance from her dad that she still got. Okay. Even okay. though she didn't like, she didn't feel sure. great about it. <laughs> uh, and then the other, like the, I think she said... Uh, she worked with a friend to make a parody of the Eloise books. Yes. So uh, Suzuki Bean is the name of this <laughs> book. And I think you, you get a lot of her class, like mm. solidarity sensibilities from the fact that she decided to write a book about a, like a street kid that was a parody of some. Of a kid living know, in a hotel. <laughs> yeah. Some like Upper West Side rich kid yeah. <laughs> book. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, Suzuki Bean is the child of beatniks. So that's sure. <laughs> and apparently copies of it uh, on the used book market go for a lot of money. I bet they that's would. what I've heard. I bet yeah. they would. Because I don't know that that's still in print. Okay. But. And then Harriet was her next book after that. Uh, we talked about the sequels a little bit. Um, of the rest of her work, I just I one thing I wanted to highlight was a manuscript. Um Wikipedia refers to it as Amelia and the the biography calls it Mimi. I know Amelia is the first name of the woman it was allegedly inspired by, but um it's a it was like a gay love story that okay. the man you know, the manuscript for it was was lost. But apparently we'd still know about it from other fragmentary records that Fitzhugh left behind. Hmm. So, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And this was 1964. If we didn't say that, the was when the book comes out. I did. That okay. Fine. Okay. Sorry. It's okay. Yeah. British Invasion, Harriet Spy, a lot of stuff happening. <laughs> sure. Uh, and I think what before we get into the topic, the topic at hand, the book itself, um, maybe we'll talk a little bit about... Uh, like the fact that it was challenged a lot, people maybe don't like the the yeah. the type of character that Harriet is. Mm-hmm. Um, all that. That's good yeah. Stuff. That's kind of the first question I want to ask you when we start doing like talk about the actual book. So if you if we if we are done highlighting snippets of sometimes you have to lie, the life and times of Louis yeah. Fitzhugh, renegade author of Harriet the Spy. Maybe we should <laughs> take a break. Yeah, let's and do come that. back. Okay. Andrew, this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Ooh, well, you better help me. Yeah, but I have a Learn question. Learn more about our sponsor. <laughs> I have a question for you first. Okay. When do you feel like your best self? Hmm. Just like when? Probably. Yeah. Mm, right as I'm closing the door during bedtime. Ooh. And I'm like, yes, another another day. He's still alive. He seems happy. <laughs> good job. <laughs> That's a good answer. Yeah, that's good. I like that. This is for my three-year-old. For if people don't have context, <laughs> that's the man you keep in your it's house. It's not me, like referring to myself or something <laughs> like that. Well, when you're at your best, Andrew, you can do great stuff like get your son to sleep. But sometimes life bogs you down. You feel overwhelmed. You might not be showing up in the way you want to. Sometimes maybe that door slams a little harder than you expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, or sometimes you have to ask somebody to put on their pajamas like fifteen times. Before they do it, kind of, yep, that can set your next day into a different Mm -hmm. direction. Uh, Mm -hmm. Working with a therapist can help you get closer to that best version of you, empowering you to take on everything that life throws at you. Uh, I think, Andrew, I think therapy is a great tool for self reflection and helps you talk through what's going on in your life, helps you ask the right questions about where you want to go, how you can get there, whether it's, you know, getting that kid down, being a great spy, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever you're trying to do on your day to day. Mm-hmm. Um, parenting can be a lot like spycraft it, there's a lot honestly, of like covert communication that needs to happen. a lot of tracking going on mm-hmm. it can be a little much sometimes it helps to talk to somebody about it if you're thinking of giving therapy a try better help is a great option it's convenient affordable and it's online so you don't have to leave your house if you have that internet uh if you want to live a more empowered life therapy can get you there visit betterhelp.com slash overdue today to get 10 percent off your first month that's BetterHelp, betterhelp.com slash overdue. Greg, if you're like me this time of year, you've probably curled up with a good book or a good movie or a good album, or maybe you left the house to catch a concert or a play. Have you done those things? I've done some of those things. 
All right. And with each exciting page you turn or awesome sight or sound you see, you're likely asking yourself, how do they do it? And then you ask yourself, how can I do it? Which is why I love American Masters Creative Spark, the award-winning podcast from PBS that illuminates the creative journeys of icons across disciplines, from music to comedy to poetry to film. <laughs> Every episode, host Joe Skinner sits down with luminaries like legendary writer-director John Waters, Oscar-winning songwriter Buffy St. Marie, and... Pulitzer-winning the Candy House novelist Jennifer Egan, who's a visit from the Goon Squad we discussed way back in 2013. Yeah, we did. Happy decennial? (laughs) Is that what? That's 10 years? Probably, yeah. Uh, American Masters Creative Spark just kicked off a new season. Its amazing first episode features John David Washington, star of Black Klansman and Tenet, as well as a newly minted Broadway headliner. I particularly liked Washington's explanation of how August Wilson's The Piano Lesson resembles Shakespeare, another guy who we've talked about a few times on this year podcast. Yeah. Uh, So whether you want to nerd out about an old classic, discover a new favorite, or find inspiration for your own creative journey, this is the podcast for you. Follow American Masters Creative Spark on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and tell them we sent you. You said you wanted to kick off this section of the pod with a question for me. <laughs> Thank you for prompting me. I was just sitting here waiting for you to be like, hey, we're back. <laughs> uh, so, okay, reading contemporary reviews of Harriet the Spy, and, and you were talking about how it's been challenged and, and whatever, like a lot of a lot of that is rooted in Harriet kind of not being uh, a sort of role model character like we talked yeah. we talked about Ramona not that long ago and I feel like even though Ramona is like very rambunctious she also has her heart in the right place and is like worried about things that I think parents would be fine reading about a kid being worried about you know what I mean yeah mm-hmm. but Harriet mm-hmm. is kind of sometimes a jerk <laughs> yeah and I just I wanted to start with just asking like what did you think of harriet like did you how how much i don't even i don't even want to ask how did you like her because it's not like she's a woman running for president like we don't have to talk about her likability but <laughs> well her favorability <laughs> ratings were pretty high at the start of the book and they take a uh-huh. dip towards the end of book two mm-hmm. and then it kind of levels out because partisanship is set in at the end of the book and it's like you're only going to get like 48 percent um <laughs> But no, she's a she's an interesting kid, right? She's eleven or twelve. She's sixth grade. Um, Very the, solitary. What? Very solitary. Yeah, mostly. she is. Yeah. She has two friends, but like the book is not about her hanging out with her friends, and it does take a while. Be- you know, it's halfway through the book before she has a falling out with those friends, mm-hmm. and then the ending of the book is about her reconciling with them but in like a really oblique way that she kind of concedes some emotional territory but still retains the high ground as it were yeah it feels pretty roundabout as i recall yeah (laughs) as if as if you and i got into a fight and i apologized to you by writing uh, like an op-ed in the new york times (laughs) and hoping that you read it and knew that it was about And then you. I just came over and we played <laughs> Nintendo without talking about it. Like, that's kind of how it ends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, yeah, she, the middle of this book and the beginning of book three, because it's divided into three parts, 
she it's that not even very epic for a children's it song. is it's it, it's not even that it's like she's a little stinker like she is a kid who is going about the world in one way that works for her it gets thrown off course we'll talk about how and why and then just kind of a tragic accident befalls her and a lot of people are upset she doesn't know how to handle that or she thinks she does and she handles it poorly and then yeah every, a bunch of middle schoolers are mean to each other for a while and then she has an okay time at the end and i think mm-hmm. there is a you have to i think do more work maybe to find and i don't mean that in a bad way i just think when we talked about quimby there were a lot of the kind of not morals, but just like values were at the surface of that book in a, in a way that was very charming and very yeah. attention grabbing. And this book, like Harriet's trying to figure out what her values are and Harriet's trying to figure out how you, if you stay connected to people. And so there's parts of this book that are a lot colder than something yeah. like Quimby. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, like, Harriet is a little older than Ramona. Yeah, for sure. And had, I think, a less uh, attentive family than Ramona. It's very did. different. So I think, like, it's it, it can be true simultaneously that both of these different books realistically capture a yes. different slice of like the emotional reality of being a child. Oh yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't I don't remember if we've had occasion to like talk about this on the pod, but when I was in elementary school, uh me and a, me and two buddies, me and one of them, we were just kind of like playfully mean to one of to the third kid. Yeah. And like to the point where a teacher was like, "I thought all of you were friends. What's <laughs> going on?" And we kind of had a reckoning. We're like, oh, yeah, that was kind of crappy behavior. That's not what we should be doing. But we had Mm -hmm. to, like, go through it. You're just, like, doing it to see what it feels like. You're just trying it on. And it's not, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're, like, going full beast mode or whatever. And you're going to become a jerk after that. It's just, like, (laughs) you are poking at the world and seeing how it responds to your poking. And this book is, you know, even by its title, it's it's Harriet the Spy, right? She's very interested in the inside, like, stories of people that other people don't see. She's interested in parts of the world that, as a kid, she's not supposed to see. And then she also is, like, recording her own private thoughts on everyone in the world, including the kids at her school, including mm-hmm. her friends. And no one is supposed to see those thoughts. So, like, this book is really about, like what in some ways it's there it's about a lot of things but like privacy and what version of yourself do other people see and that's like a big thing when you're that age when you're like you know from third to eighth grade kind of like figuring out your personality but also trying to figure out how to negotiate other people's personalities there's a lot of boundary setting that works and doesn't work in that mm-hmm. age mm-hmm. um and but then also you referenced mean girls that there is a big like burn book sequence yeah in this story mm-hmm. that is you know pe- people of all ages do that sort of thing well it's know? i'm thinking when i'm thinking about 
when I was thinking about and when I was reading about Harriet being kind of a jerk, I was thinking in particular of Pinky Whitehead. Yeah. Who is a child who Ramona hates solely because of the way that he looks. Yeah. And she says, like, if I was his if I was his mom and I had him, I wouldn't want him. And it's (laughs) it's pretty rough. Some of the stuff it's rough, but it's also like you're you're like eleven. You don't know what empathy is. Yep. Like it's it's it is all like it it is important. I think for kids to like have room to explore those kinds of responses and like hopefully eventually like realize that they are a little busted and and to correct them. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. So like Harriet, what does she do? She she goes through her life with this notebook or a series of notebooks because she always fills them up. And whenever she's going anywhere, she is looking at people and she is writing down observations about them. Mm-hmm. And her nanny, Old Golly, who mm-hmm. has encouraged this behavior because do Harriet. We, do we do we know Old Golly's real name? Uh, or is... Catherine. Catherine okay. Golly. <laughs> okay. Good. Uh, it's a there's a one when she hears her name, she's like, well, I never thought that she could even have a name, let alone that one. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> And she, you know, Harriet wants to be a writer. And so Golly has impressed upon her that, like, one way to view the world is to record everything you see. Though Golly, like, whether or not Harriet's listening, Golly does, like, offer some some guardrails as, like, knowing everything just but not knowing what, not having a plan to do anything with it or having any guide to what to do with it isn't great. Like she says that to her at one point. I think I don't think Harriet hears that. But like a lot of the stuff that you watch Harriet write in that notebook at the especially at the beginning, and she's just like just calling people on the bus ugly and just like really okay. Like it's really just that's kind of mean. <laughs> like it's just mean to just write it is it's not also great. Like- in my experience, like both giving and receiving that kind of thing, completely true to the experience of being eleven years also old. Also true in a, in a public school. Yeah, like. for sure. And and if you then think about this book as an arc, where in book two, all of her friends find out what's in her notebook about them, and they're all offended, and no one wants to talk to her, and she's isolated and pariahed, then like. That's the consequences of writing all that kind of stuff in your notebook. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but then you'll also get stuff. Oh, what is this? Is my the note that I have for Pinky Whitehead, Andrew? Because the the Poor Pinky Whitehead, the he school really has it rough in this book. The what I you know a, a typical trope structure is that this book is at the beginning of a year of school. So there is this kind of element of everyone coming back to school, and she's writing in her notebook about which kids aren't uglier than they were before and which kids, mm-hmm. you know, have changed or not. And then she just writes, Pinky Whitehead has not changed. Pinky Whitehead will never change. <laughs> uh, but then, like, she will, um, you know, there's one, there's later in the book when Olgali leaves, and I'll, we'll talk maybe through the, the beats that lead us there because they're sort of fun. But her mentor, the adult that understands her, um is taken out of her life mm-hmm. and harriet writes in her notebook i feel all the same things when i do things alone as when old golly was here the bath feels hot the bed feels soft but i feel there's a funny little hole in me that wasn't there before like a splinter in your finger but this is somewhere above my stomach 
And it's like, that's the same writer who wrote the mean stuff about Pinky Whitehead. So like, we all gotta rec- we gotta reconcile like an yeah. art artist situation here, <laughs> where we're like, we get some really lovely stuff from Harriet as an introspective kid or an inquisitive kid, uh, but then we also get kind of like you know heinous character descriptions that she has well, to learn it's, to get it's through. It's like the it's the she does not make a distinction between like a thought that yeah. you keep in your head, see, true. keep a secret, keep it safe, never tell anybody. Yep, that's true. And a, and a thought that you write down in a in a thing that could some like someday be consumed by the public. Yeah, because she assumes it, she assumes it never will be. Any email you ever write could be read by someone. Think about that. Mm-hmm. Like people you didn't intend, not know, just the I person know. you sent it to. I know, I know. I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, the um. Let's see. Let's kind of start from the beginning a little bit here. Just with Olgali is her nanny. Mm-hmm. Um, her parents are well-to-do socialite Her dad has like an well, office job well, of some kind. Well-to-do and mostly absentee to my, yes. to my memory. Like Olgali is definitely more of the authority slash parental figure yes. in her in her mind than either of her actual parents are yeah and there's this like really we learn how the like the setup here with uh harriet and her friend sport who is uh a little boy who lives with his dad has less money than harriet does mm-hmm. and uh sports dad uh, is like a writer who always pisses away all the money he has. So like sport has to be, do his finances for him mm-hmm. and cook for him and things. Um, and old golly takes them to visit her mother uh, who is like not well. It's like just so, lives somewhere on the other side of the, of town and like kind of hates that golly left her. And Harriet's like, who's this like dumb old lady that is Golly's mom? And old Golly kind of impresses upon Harriet. Like, this is a woman who never leaves her house and is just kind of here wasting away as as, as a person. Which is a weird thing to tell an 11-year-old, I think. But yeah. anyway. <laughs> uh, but I guess that she is like... Seems she's mature for her age, Craig. So it's okay to talk to her like an adult sure. about matters of life and death. Behold Harriet, a woman who who never had any interest in anyone else, nor in any book, nor in any school, nor in any way of life, but has lived her whole life in this room, eating and sleeping and waiting to die. Mm-hmm. So Harriet Jeez. is going to go Gee out... Whiz. <laughs> I think Old Golly has some interesting lessons to teach. <laughs> um, <laughs> old Golly has very got a very like that you know that like Arby's nihilism <laughs> Twitter account feels a little like that. Yeah. Uh huh. Um. So Harriet's gonna go to school. She's still gonna be her wonderful inquisitive self. Um. We get a we meet Janie, the mad scientist friend. Um. I think it's important to note that like in in the world of Harriet the Spy, like. Harriet, her like the the three kids that we're supposed to like all have vocations. Uh-huh. Like Sport is an accountant slash cook, and mm-hmm. Janie is a scientist, and Harriet is a spy. And they like yeah. later in the book when Harriet is in trouble and her mom takes her notebook away from her, saying you can't play with this notebook. Harriet says it's work, it's not play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think all three of these kids like 
view what they're doing with their time and with their energy as like work that defines them. Mm-hmm. It's just different, I think, from some other kids' books. Like, you know, it's capitalism got these kids already. <laughs> it's both, ca- yeah, it's, but it's that and like a a calling, it is a, a career. It is, well, and it's it's a it's a perfectly acceptable play style where you dump all your skill points into. Uh, like one single skill. None of these kids are multi-classing. So, yeah. So that yeah, so that you can get really good at that one skill early, 10, even if hours. it leaves kind of holes in your other. <laughs> yes. It's well, yeah. certainly Harriet does not have a lot in uh wisdom or charisma. Well, charisma. Yeah, charisma seems like hmm. Hmm, that's in, that's interesting. It's interesting, isn't it, to think about Harriet's. D&D Charisma stats. score. I wondered if we... <laughs> well, her wisdom is like better, like wisdom from a decision-making, not great. Mm-hmm. Wisdom mm-hmm. in the perception roles, pretty high. Mm-hmm. Huh. I wonder if we need to start every, start or finish every podcast by assigning the main <laughs> protagonist a D&D alignment. Uh, I feel I... like Harriet is lawful neutral. Mm, interesting. I would have said that she is chaotic neutral and moves to Mm. chaotic good Hmm. interesting okay okay um but we don't need we don't need to explore or explain any of our (laughs) that would take too much just an initial take is fine yeah a susan of a take um Mm -hmm. so she spends her afternoons uh running around her neighborhood there is a fun little map in the book um of harriet's neighborhood uh, on the East River in New York, mm-hmm. which is kind of mm-hmm. neat. It's got little footsteps of where she runs around. Back when people, like normal-ish people, could live yeah. in New York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't just like all empty Airbnbs <laughs> yes. or whatever oh that Manhattan God. is right now. <laughs> so she, as you said, her parents are pretty absentee. Like they go out a lot of nights. Her mom doesn't seem to do anything other than play bridge. Uh, and her dad wants to come home and have a martini after a long day at the office uh and old golly takes care of her but i'm with you yep with you man (laughs) lets her kind of run around in the afternoon and she spends that time spying on a bunch of her neighbors uh and she is literally like going places where she shouldn't be and just watching people through windows or whatever um so just real quickly she is she spies on mrs Plummer, who is a rich lady who lives in her bed um, mm-hmm. And Harriet uses a dumb waiter to spy on her. Uh, oh, I forgot about this whole like, fa- like only murders in the building, yes. like network of crawl spaces uh-huh. that she can use to see everything in the entire complex. Uh, <laughs> she also spends a lot of time hovering around the DeSantis grocery store, where there is a family drama around whether or not the son will take over the store, and there's a delivery boy who's poaching food and giving it to poor kids. Whoa, yeah. Ugh. Um, there are the Robinsons who are rich people who quote bought things and brought them home and then they had people in to look at them that's all they do wow uh, and she says at one point like if they had a baby it would like destroy them because they don't know they wouldn't know what to do with it and then later they buy a giant fake baby <laughs> <laughs> it's great made of what like wood and stuff what? Why? Fit. I don't know jeez uh, and then at least at least have the decency to buy knockoff <laughs> guitars off of, a, <laughs> off of a website like some of us. Uh, and then she one of her other people is Harrison Withers, who is this kind of he's a man with a bunch of cats, 26 of them, in fact. Uh, and he has one room for all his cats and one room for all the bird cages that he makes. Mm-hmm. 
and he never answers the door if there's someone wearing a hat because it's someone from the city to come take his cats away. Uh, and at one point, his cats do get taken away. He's very sad, but then he gets a kitty. Uh, mm-hmm. And she kind of like... these those, those characters are dropped strategically throughout the book to kind of give Harriet some emotional things to respond to. Mm-hmm. She never has a conversation with any of those characters. Um, and it's really just about like... W- fits you kind of using them to to give us a little course to chart mm-hmm. but yeah so the the big inciting incident in the book is that Olgali leaves harriet's life uh Olgali has been her nanny for as long as we care to know mm-hmm. but Olgali is dating someone whoa mr Olgali, mr waldenstein good golly Olgali. <laughs> <laughs> and Harriet is so like confused by this whole concept that she goes and spies on Olgali on a date. Mm. And it's a it's a real like um teachers have lives outside of school situation. Yeah. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Where, where you see your teacher at the mire or whatever yep. and you don't know, you don't know what to do. Well, and she and she's They need really, groceries just like me. <laughs> what? <laughs> she's really thrown off by the fact that like this might be love and it's making this person who helps me know who I am like act differently she says instead of being strong tough and totally in control she looked as though she might faint and then she writes in her in her notebook life is a great mystery is everybody a different person when they are with somebody else old mm-hmm. golly has never been this way I wonder if people act like this when they get married how could she get married would Mr. Waldenstein come to live with us then they could put their child in my room if they wanted I wouldn't <laughs> mind I don't think unless it was a very nosy child mm-hmm so she is like really perplexed about this change in this person that she, that she cares for and who cares for her. And Mr. Wallenstein comes over one day and hangs out with Harriet for a little bit. And he's got this whole backstory, Andrew. I don't know if you remember any of this. He used Dude, to I run a not. jewelry store. Mm-hmm. He had a whole family and a life. And mm-hmm. he was like, nah, I don't like the rat race. I don't like this. I want to get out of this business. Uh-huh. And I told my wife that she could join me and she said no. So we separated and now I work as a delivery boy. Okay. And he met Miss Golly and now he wants to be a cashier so that he can afford to like move in with her somewhere. Hmm. And But he- it's mm. Yep. <laughs> so he thinks of this job. Yeah. Just being a being a Amazon Prime driver yeah. and then a <laughs> cashier. <laughs> As being outside of the bounds of the rat race in a way that his work at like an upscale jewelry store was not. Yes. He was he was too wrapped up in the materialism, man. He just wants to like do the work and connect with people. I guess. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I feel like when people reject the rat race, they normally do it to go like start a band or something. Like, yeah. Not... Um but it to is start one... a start a start a sub stack. Like it's not <laughs> subscribe to my Mr. Walton comes over subscribe to my newsletter Mm -hmm. Um, but no so uh, Harriet is charmed by him and they all go out to a movie and then when they come back uh, it's very you know Harriet's parents are home and Miss Golly gets in trouble for for taking her old Golly gets in trouble for taking her out and then old Golly's like anyway you know I was probably going to think about leaving because I do this guy did propose to me 
while we were in the soda shop, Harry, you were, Just you a, were paying attention. You, you can't, you can't fire me. I quit. Yeah, a little bit. Moments. Yeah. Um, and Harry kind of just loses it. She just kind of loses her emotional lodestar. Um, and then, as we've said, in the middle part of the book, they're playing a game of tag. There's a whole section where the kids are in some sort of Christmas pageant and they have to pretend to be food and Harriet's rolling all around on the ground like an onion being sad. It's kind of funny. Mm. This is a little Scout Finch to me. Yes, yes. Like dressed as scout, a ham kind of stuff. Scout in the ham costume, yeah. Um, <laughs> but they're playing tag. The kids get her notebook and there's a whole sequence of them reading what she says about them and being hurt. And the stuff where like you realize her parents don't know what to do with her just mm-hmm. sucks like it's I, I don't mean that as a like it was a bad read in the like a, a low quality read it's just hard yeah. to read mm-hmm. um for her because she is like getting hugs from her mother and father and like there's a line where like her her mom is hugging her to try and make her feel better her dad comes home and is like i guess we're hugging <laughs> like i don't know why uh-huh. we're hugging but we're hugging mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then they're done and she's like they didn't understand no one understands me um she hears her parents talk about how they have to get to know her which is you can you can feel through a hug whether it's like one of those hugs from somebody who knows you yep and one of them stranger hugs oh god it's not you know oh i guess we have to um and so the you know there's a long stretch in the book where all these kids are like forming their own we hate spies club the Mm -hmm. spy catcher club they call Mm -hmm. it and she kind of resolves that they will never defeat her. She goes into like they can never beat me mode as mm-hmm. opposed to like sad I'm going to go talk to a teacher about it. Mode. Yeah, well, I'm going to spy more better more and better than ever before. Yeah, and I, I think that's where you get to this Harriet is a mean kid or a bad kid who might not be a good role model stuff because instead of going and talking to someone or being a character that we might like she just kind of takes it she doesn't just take it like these kids are like throwing notes at her and i mean she said some pretty bad stuff about them Mm -hmm. but um she like putting frogs in people's desks she's like chopping people's hair off she's pinching people and tripping them um and then just like leave school it's a it's a lot uh and yeah. the the breaking do you remember the the like scene at all andrew or even mm-hmm. have a sense of the scene where they take her to a child psychiatrist oh no i don't remember this yeah i didn't know what to do with this scene that i'm yeah i mostly like i i remember the old golly stuff what, that when you're telling me like the going out to the movie theater without her parents permission i remember the arc of the burn book including yep. the apology at the end but a lot about like the individual, like, hey, Arnold D characters yep. <laughs> who she's spying on and like the individual non-Harriet characters. Yeah, I don't. It's been a long time since I read it. There's just this fascinating scene where, you know, her parents are finally confronted with the fact that she is like being a bad kid and acting out and something is wrong. So they take her to this child psychiatrist and he just is like he does a lot of asking questions of her. And she's kind of confused by that, but it creates conversation. And then he plays Monopoly with her, which is not a game she likes. But so she decides to be nice because it takes a long time yeah. to play a game of Monopoly. Yep. Also, uh-huh. like, is, is he is he billing her for the, the three hours that a game of Monopoly takes? And he is making notes in his notebook. So 
Uh, she asks about that, and he lets her make notes in a notebook, which she has since had taken away from her, which is really humiliating. Um, and she just kind of like learns that she got through that interaction by being nice to this guy, even though mm-hmm. she didn't know him and wasn't sure why. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, "I wonder if that's a thing I can, I can do with my friends." Yeah, baby. Um. And that doesn't work right away. She tries to go do it in person, and her and her friends are still too mad. Um, the school concocts this amazing plan to bring Harriet back into the fold. The and, school does, yes, with the parents. Mm-hmm. So she has been acting out like whoa. There was this election at the beginning of the book where the popular Mean Girls uh, were elected class president, which means you're in charge of the sixth grade page in the school paper. That goes out every month. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on in this school. Every month? I think so, yeah. <laughs> okay, um, fine. If not more often than that, I have no idea. Um, and so the teacher's like, we need to channel Harriet's energy. Because uh, at this point, she's like not even doing any schoolwork. She's just, she was just writing her notebook. We're going to change the rules so that the teachers get to pick who will write for the newspaper. And they pick Harriet. Well. And so she starts by just publishing stuff that she's spied on people around town about, Mm -hmm. like including people's parents or some of the other adults in the neighborhood, basically just publishing like the Daily Mail for the neighborhood. Yeah, it takes a real uh, Perez Hilton turn. And everyone loves it. Everyone Mm -hmm. thinks it's great. Oh, so she's Mrs. Featherbottom or whatever the... Bridgerton thing uh, is. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, though then she does say after she gets this letter from <laughs> uh Miss from Old Golly, where the, the parents have reached out to her and are like, Hey, we gotta we gotta have Old Golly weigh in. And Old Golly is like, Listen, in this world things are gonna happen and you have to apologize and you have to lie, otherwise you're gonna lose a friend. And she says, Little lies make people feel better are not bad. Like thanking someone for a meal, even though you hated it, or telling a sick person they look better when they don't, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And she says that writing is to put love in the world, not to use against your friends, but you must tell the truth. So that's the lesson that Harriet gets from that and causes her to publish a thing that says a certain notebook by the editor of the sixth grade page was unfair statements and besides were lies. Mm-hmm. Anyone who saw them is hereby notified that they were lies. And that a general apology is offered by the editor of the sixth grade page. Mm-hmm. And then the book ends with her friends forgiving her. Okay. So it's, it is, as you, as you alluded to earlier, it's a very bizarre way to apologize to your friends. It in practice, as I was reading it, it did feel kind of like, Oh, I guess we wound up at the end here where people are okay with each other again, but it does it like feels very subtle in a weird mm-hmm. way, despite it being published in a school newspaper. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't remember the um, the wrinkle of her being like the editor of the sixth grade page, and it being clearer that it was her. Anything that was printed there was like her personally, and not something that was being run through. Oh, sure, like a, a newsroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. um, I just like. One last, okay, before I go into like just what I think makes this book memorable, Andrew. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just want to throw one more like 
old golly like what is old golly's deal at you in this yeah. note that old golly writes to harriet where she's like hey you gotta apologize you know you gotta learn to like treat people well and stuff like that um old golly is like hey you know i <sighs> I guard my memories and love them, but I don't get in them and lie down. And she basically is like, listen, we had good times together, kid, but like, I'm not sitting around being sad that we're not together anymore. Yeah. It's just this like fascinating thing to say to an 11 year old. It's a a little brutal, but in a way that maybe, maybe it can help Harriet get out of the depths of, the depression that she's in. Yeah. Old golly is mm-hmm. like got this stern, tough love streak that I just found very fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. And that it seems to work for Harriet. So when like it never backfires, really, we don't ever see it backfire. So I guess we can infer that like old golly knows Harriet well enough to know that that will work. Mm-hmm. Um which is just interesting. It's she's a fascinating character, and that's like yeah. for me, that is one of the things that this book probably is for people. Where it's like it's a book about having an adult other than your parents in your life and forming a connection with them, and like learning that they are a person in addition to whoever they are to you. Mm-hmm. Um, for some people that's like a coach for some people that's maybe that's not your parent but it's like a grandparent or an aunt or uncle that is very you know active in your life or something like that Um, so that's kind of an interesting dynamic and then it's about like I don't know I do like it as a book about neighborhood kids just kids who run around a few blocks in New York yeah Mm -hmm. we keep talking I I feel like we've maxed out our Hey Arnold references because if you don't know what Hey Arnold is (laughs) It's going to be really your your frustration is slowly building at us for for keeping like we continually refer to this thing that you have no context. For. Just go like watch a few YouTube clips of just like kids playing baseball in the street. Yeah. And St- get, or stickball. You got to get stickball. Stickball and With like the hoop in the the hoop and the stick. Is that stickball? Or is that called hoop and stick? Who, that's hoop and stick. That's different. Mm-hmm. Stickball is just favorite, baseball favorite, with a stick. <laughs> my favorite band, hoop and stick. <laughs> um, that's a hoop of stink. Yeah, joke. it is. It mm-hmm. is. Um, and yeah, it's just like a different type of kid autonomy in fiction than the like kids getting lost in the woods and get like the bridge to Terabithia type kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Um. And it does. Well, it's like a, it's like uh, not to get all like boomery complaining about yeah. helicopter parents or whatever, yep, yep. but I feel like just letting your child run around the neighborhood is just not something. It 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 is frowned upon in just society like yep. broadly now. Like every but everybody would see a couple kids run around and be like, "Hey, where are your parents? Do yep. they know where you are?" Yeah, culturally, it's just not a thing in the same way at all anymore. Um, and it's so, it's so neat to read a book where that is like the mode it operates in. Um, and to realize that like we grew up with a lot of shows and other stories where that is definitely how things worked. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So yeah, it's a pretty cool book. I think there's like a lot of interesting threads 
to pull on if you're reading it like maybe with a kid of your own or you're recommending it to a, a to a kid um or if you just like haven't read it before in a while like there's some cool stuff to think about so yeah and the drawings are neat there's a lot of cool illustrations that that are by yeah, cuz Fitzhugh's art was her was her thing her, yeah yeah her calling so it's it's I'm curious to I I don't remember any of the art from the book like I, I know that I was just because I read that um, annotated version of The Hobbit, which had a lot of illustrations from like Tolkien himself. Mm, mm-hmm. And so I am really, I'm, I kind of dig when an author tries to illustrate their own thing. I think it's neat. Yep. I'm just, I'm just, I randomly pulled up a page here where like at one point, one of the girls spills ink on Harriet on purpose. It's very shocking and upsetting. Mm-hmm. And Harriet just leaves school right away to go take a bath. Mm-hmm. And there's an image of her like in this giant clawfoot bathtub, like covered in ink. But like the water looks like it's got the waves of like the ocean because it's all like line drawing. <laughs> so like she had to convey that there was water in there somehow. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, sure. It's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's Harriet the Spy. I never wanted like- to be a spy as a kid. I wanted to be a Ninja Turtle. Of oh, well, obviously. I mean, ch- taste change. Yeah. Like in 1964, we're talking about. Uh, James Bond. We're talking about John Le Carre. Yeah. Like probably kid kids. Kids on the playground being like, being like "I'm John Le Carre." Yeah, being like, "I'm the spy who came in from the cold." <laughs> I'm George Smiley. <laughs> and then in the 80s and 90s, it's like I'm Leonardo. Yeah, right. I'm Arnold. I'm a, tur- I'm a turtle who eats pizza. Yeah, radical. That cowabunga, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for letting me tell you about this book, Andrew. Oh, thank. Thanks for telling me about it. It was fun to to remember what I enjoyed about it. Yeah. There's plenty to yeah. enjoy here. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have read this book, you want to tell us about your experience, send us an email over to pod at gmo.com. Keep your spy thoughts to yourselves. We don't want to be responsible for those being disseminated. Mm, I don't know. I think if somebody left a burn book out where we could find it, I would definitely tweet it out. <laughs> okay. Put attention to Andrew in the subject line if you want to leave a burn book for us. Yeah. Um, or just blast it on social media at Overdue Pod. We're there as well. Thanks to Vorbus, Ian, Val, Cheryl, Jesse, Dave, Kyle, Holly, Julian, James, Julian, many more for reaching out to us in the past week or so. Uh, Nick Larangis, compo- excuse me, Nick Breaking news. Nick Larangis composed our theme music. Uh, Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website up there. We have links to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read in the near future. If you click those links, you can buy the books and read along with us. And we also get a small cut of that. Uh, That cut helps the show keep on keeping on. The other thing that helps us keep on keeping on is Patreon. Patreon.com slash overduepod. Get access to our Discord server, early access to bonus episodes, uh, access to our uh, live streams that we do every other month. Uh, we did one of those for our Q&A recently. That was fun. We're going to do another one this month. for the, It's a make good for our the Spooktober yeah. uh, episode that we missed because Craig was really inconsiderate to all of you yeah. and had a kid yeah. instead of uh, making content. Yeah. So. I mean, you could say he is the most important content that you are that you'll ever publish. We are. You yes. could view it that way. We are content creators over here. <laughs> we are content with our creation. He's a good yes. guy. Oh, that's that's nice. Uh, so next week, what are we reading? Last Greg? of the Mohicans, James Fenimore Cooper. 
Oh, good. It was our Patreon. Finally, our, finally, the last one. It was our... Do <laughs> you think you made that joke last week? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it was our Patreon's Choice episode. Um, we're going to have some polls for February, so if you want to get in on that, go to Patreon. As Andrew said, you can uh, help us choose books for the schedule. Yeah, really get some vocal fry in there at the end. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. And until we spy on you next week, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.